This is the Roar and Peace Project coming to you from Studio 3 at the Third Space on Campus Corner. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to Ellie, 22 months, and five rescue animals, political scientist, policy wonk, and co-owner of four businesses with my fellow co-host, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I am almost 50 years old, uh, birther of four businesses, mother of two grown children, five rescue animals, and one errant husband. In the introduction of the 1915 serialized fiction story Herland by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, the author of the introduction, Anne J. Lane, writes of Gilman's beliefs, quote, what we call masculine traits are simply human traits which have been denied to women and are thereby assumed to belong to men. Traits such as courage, strength, creativity, generosity, and integrity. To be virtuous, a woman needs but one virtue, chastity. Quote, women are not undeveloped men, said Gilman, but the feminine half of humanity is undeveloped humans. So one might hear that quote and harken back to our first episode where we talked about the perception or the expectation of a women's perspective on business. Uh, but ha, that's not where this is going. We're actually going to talk about women partnerships in business, in politics, in life, and why they tend to be so rare. And also maybe a little self-analysis of why we're able to make it work so well so far. Do we want to start with, so that happened? Yes. Okay. So that happened. I spent my day yesterday running a business with a woman. And many of the key leadership roles in our company are held by females, not by choice, just that was the best person for the job. We weren't looking for women necessarily. I attended a meeting with a city attorney, female, and myself being a council member, Kate Bierman is a council member and two other council members to talk about a particularly complex issue that we were going to be hearing at our city council last night. So today we're coming, we're recording this fresh off of that experience yesterday and then on to last night. So this is, that was really just a day of, a day of women. I mean, that was, it I, was. I don't know very many times when we've had a meeting with city staff and city council members and every single person in the room is a woman Everybody collaborating together. Woman. And then our council is, uh, we have the third in a row female mayor. We have a majority city, uh, female city council. Uh, we have a, a female city attorney, female. We are, we've gone through this a few times. So it's a, it's a lot of estrogen up there and a very complex issue that, we don't go into that part of it. We want to talk about the relationships right now. And it went long, and we had a group of women on one side of an issue and a group of women on the other side of the issue. And it was really interesting to see that variety and the difference in how different women have worked together and how different women interacted with each other when there was disagreement. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from yesterday is the e Evening and the actual meeting itself and how we interacted with each other was very different than the meeting we had earlier in the day with four female council members who all came from different perspectives and brought different strengths to the table and maybe even had different interpretations of how we'd go about making the changes we wanted. But we all had the same end goal in mind, which was to do the best thing for our community. And so to see the difference in how that 10 a.m. meeting went versus our 5.30 p.m. Very meeting. Collaborative. It was very collaborative. was very collaborative. And we disagreed. We disagreed on a few things. You know, we had different levels of information and different you know, levels of understanding of the information. Let's talk for a minute about the makeup of that group of women. We had uh, one woman who's a grandmother, myself, who has grown children, but no grandchildren yet. Lee, 
she's retired. I'm in the midst of my career. Kate's in the middle of toddler rearing and entering kind of her full stride as a working mom. And Allison, who's our other counterpart, has like middle school and older elementary school age kids. Also an attorney, a political scientist, an educator, and a liberal arts, guess who that is? That's me, person. So we have the, all these different, I have more of a blue-collar background. It's just a, this different walks of life folks in this room. I think why this stood out to me was that, you know, spent 16 years doing a male-dominated career, so not very often in my career have I had so many women personalities to choose from. And we so, really ran the spectrum of personality, too. Yeah, I think we're expected to be on the same team yes. because we're women. In a lot of cases, we are. But what I what I found so fascinating from yesterday was despite all the differences in personality, all the differences in where we are in our walk of life, and even when we disagreed, we bent around each other, we kind of flexed around each other, we stopped each other to ask the question in a way that maybe would get a better answer. Um, to help each other. To help each other. And I think that that was the prevailing sense that allowed allowed us to do those things without strife or conflict was knowing that we were all in it together, that we were all working together towards the same goal and anything we did that could have come across as maybe a power move or rude, like stopping and rephrasing the question to get a better answer. It didn't land badly because we all knew what we were working towards and we all knew that that was the goal and we could help each other and pull each other and push each other to get there. And, and I we weren't going to take like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that fine. felt like that was a, a powerful unit moving together. Even though we were all rowing a different side of the boat, we were rowing in the same direction, juxtaposed to our actual council meeting, which went really long. It got fairly emotional, and not just because there was a bunch of women either. It was just everybody. The citizens were emotional. When you have those big issues in your community, you're going to get a lot of citizens and a lot of input. So it's it's a long night, generally, to, to do that, which culminated in a postponement, which I think was disappointing for everybody, honestly. But we didn't have a good solution for what we were trying to accomplish. One group of us, one team, and I'm not going to say which team I was on. I'm just going to try to take the details out of it. One team felt we should do things a certain way, and one team felt like we should do things a different way. And the one team that wanted to do it a different way wanted to stop and get more information and make sure everybody was comfortable. The team that wanted to do it, you know, team A, I guess, wanted to do it now just to get it over with, basically, which created a 10 o'clock, you know, been there for five hours situation where everybody was tired and cranky. And some of us handled it well. Some of us did not handle it well. The emotions went crazy. I don't know how much I want to tell about that. but So I think what my frustration in all of this was, and I think there would be an argument to make that it was happening on both sides, but my big frustration in what happened last night was the failure to assume positive intent and the expression of frustration or anxiety or fear or whatever the underpinnings were. That expression was in lecturing mm -hmm. and in shaming not directed necessarily at our male colleagues who were maybe expressing some hesitation with proceeding in one way versus another, but towards the women. And it was women doing this to other women. We had already decided that this was what we were going to talk about today. And I think what happened yesterday just re-solidified that is why are there not so many successful women partnerships in business or in politics or in other collaborative environments? 
because we compete against each other and we and laser focus on each other and undercutting each other or manipulating each other or undermining each other and not supporting each other or recognizing that just like when it comes to human rights, that we it's not a pie. By undermining mm -hmm. another another woman, you don't necessarily get more for yourself or make your life better. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about today is why does this happen? What changes from when you and your school age friends, you and your female school age friends are you know, running around on the playground and, and chasing each other and supporting each supporting other, each other and, you know, ganging up on the boy together, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. versus the comparison and the I'm not like other girls line. Well, and if you've I have raised a girl human and uh, at about age 12, they lose their minds. I've raised a boy human as well. And it's not as bad. And I don't know if there's I can't figure out chicken or the egg. Is it cultural? Is it hormonal? And I think it's both. This is my wonkiness coming out, like trying to find the underlying reasons or identify the variables, as mm -hmm. my political science professors would say and my research professors. What are the variables? I think it kind of comes down to the natural nature versus nurture split. We're still animals with biological imperatives and the evolutionary underpinning of competition between women is the competition for a mate. At the same time, the nurture side, we as women are conditioned from a very early age to compete against each other instead of against men or instead of simply bettering oneself. And so being forced to break through that or deciding to break through that, I think is part of what makes that magic bean <laughs> that makes our partnership so successful is we both espouse a lot of the traits that one would prize in a man and we prize those traits in each other. A lot of girls, I know they're told that they're bossy or that those masculine traits start getting pushed out. And on a cultural level early. And sometimes it's hard to look around and see other bossy girls and know where you fit with that other bossy girl. I think that women aren't necessarily taught to withstand aggressiveness either. So one of the things that makes Kate and my re collaborative relationship work well, I think, is that both of us can throw the spaghetti at the wall and be creative and, and have these great ideas and we support those even if we disagree and we can disagree openly to each other and we can be aggressive to each other. Um, I don't know, aggressive may not be the great, greatest word, but that's the one firm that keeps coming. Or firm or strong in our positions. Yeah. So maybe that even just talking about this right now, I'm seeing that aggressive keeps coming out when it's actually just drawing a strong boundary or having an opinion. Mm -hmm. That makes me aggressive where that would make maybe a man just a man in business doing whatever, telling you what needs to be done. And one of the things back to our story, so that happened last night, uh, the emotions ran high. There was a moment where I ended up being emotional. Did you yell? I yelled. There was some yelling. It wasn't real loud, but it was real firm. It wasn't loud because your microphone was not turned my on. My <laughs> microphone was, they turned me off. But I slammed my hand on the, on the desk and I pointed. These were my big aggressive moves. All you needed but to do was stand up and you'd be Nancy Pelosi. I would be Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> but I have sat on that dais where the men have done exactly that. And there's not been any, not really even an eye blink at that. And after I did my little song and dance, um, we had people getting up and talking, you know, uh, constituents and citizens getting up and talking about how we need to not be emotional. 
and we need to not chastise each other. And it makes them uncomfortable. Actually, one guy said it made him uncomfortable to see us chide each other. I have never heard anybody say that that kind of behavior made them uncomfortable when we were more male-dominated council. And those same things happened. While I was a little, I was a little surprised by by I was tired. the reaction from and cranky. last night. But at the same time, I saw it for what it was, which was a culmination of like two years and four months of seeing a totally different standard for the men on the dais versus the women. There was no pushback against the male council member who felt the need to apologize on our behalves. Oh, yeah. For when, actions when we that turned we our took. back, whenever <laughs> and, it was being suggested that we outlaw abortion in our community. Right. We've seen that double standard in a number of ways. I And I, I, I was I was right there with you. Like I was sitting there cheering. I was like, I, you know, being being lectured to is not an appropriate way to handle disagreement. Disagreement is fine. Right. But don't undermine and lecture and shame. Just disagree. Just, just disagree. Just disagree. Absolutely. Just disagree. I think this leads really well through adolescence into adulthood when we're working in a workplace with with a group of people, whether it's in city council or in a job. I think one of the reasons why women have been so conditioned to compete against each other or to undermine each other is because when there historically has never been more than one or huh, heaven forbid two seats at the table for women, we've been taught to fight for those scraps versus asking why there aren't more chairs for us in the first place. I firmly believe that competition between women hurts everyone. Absolutely. Not just women and not just each other. It hurts women generally. It hurts workplaces. It hurts men it hurts everyone when women take the anxiety or the discomfort or the underlying base level of fear that women feel in the workplace because of the different ways they've been treated and focus it on each other as opposed to breaking out of that cycle in the first place. Obviously, I do a lot of research for these episodes because that's part of part of what makes me who I am. I love systems. I love research that really checks all the boxes for me. However, one of the most interesting things I found in my research for this episode was there was a true lack of information on successful women partnerships or why they fail. There was almost no information at all about women partnerships. I was looking more specifically in terms of business, but even just generally, there's very little information on that. But I also was finding a lot of hand-wringing about why more women weren't starting businesses, which then kind of led me to wonder, maybe I'm asking the wrong question, that maybe the question isn't why there aren't more successful women business partnerships. Maybe it's just why aren't there more opportunities for women to go into business and therefore create more successful partnerships. Right. So and back to our example of this council, which I hate to harp on that, but it is a pretty unique situation where we actually have a pretty diverse group of women as far as personalities go to choose from. So we don't all have to be on the same team just because we're female that we can uh, find like-minded females in that group. So, for instance, the 10 o'clock meeting yesterday, which was so collaborative and wonderful, and I sat around in awe of those women, each having their own skill set, each having their own leg of the table, really, to support this effort as a group, and then watch it change so drastically. Like, that same intact group was there last night. We all still were walking lockstep towards a goal. We just had this disconnect with the other women on our council, that then turned into emotions. And I, I think that's why it chafed me so badly is because I think I disagreed with, at some point, with every single woman in the room for our earlier meeting. 
at some point on something. Mm-hmm. I have disagreed with them substantively and you know deeply, but it's just flabbergasting to me because my internal response to that is not how do I undermine them or how do I undercut them mm-hmm. or how do I shame them or lecture them or drag them to my side. Or it's, use emotional ma- manipulation to right get, or to garner, manipulate them. Yeah, that it's just expressing my my disagreement and maybe making my position known if necessary and then moving on. If you value the people that you are required to be around on a regular basis, again, whether it's counsel or business, I don't understand the application or the practicality of that kind of manipulation or undermining or undercutting. And I really do think that that's why that competition between women hurts everyone because I do not see a value in what happened last night. I don't see a value for our continuing working relationship. I don't see a value for our work product that comes out of these council meetings. And I certainly as a business owner would never, ever countenance that kind of behavior with the female members of our leadership team and how they interact with each other. And one might say that the emotions last night actually came because we are women. I would counter that with the fact that my own experiences are that I spent 16 years in the male-dominated career, and I was the boss of men for lots and lots of years there. Emotions ran rampant with those men that worked together, too. Everything from fistfights to crying that I had to figure out how to handle as a manager of these people. One of the things that I think became a solid knowledge in my brain was that the men were allowed to be angry. Women aren't necessarily allowed to be angry or we're not allowed to call it anger or or at least we are now because we, we make our way in the world. But as children, I think this is where this starts with the anger. An acceptable emotion for a little girl is being sad or, or crying because they're frustrated and boys are accepted as angry And that's your whole toxic masculinity and perceived gender roles situation. You can see that very clearly in how boys and girls are treated. I don't know if I've said this before on this podcast, but I know I've mentioned it several times in just my daily conversations that I will often shop in the boys section for my daughter's clothes first because there's nothing so frustrating than to see shirts that say smart like daddy Mm -hmm. or kind like mommy. Yeah. Tough like daddy. Like, no, girls can be tough and boys can be kind. Mm-hmm. And it's always been that way. I mean, I don't know why we have gender separated toy aisles to begin with or, you know, boys Unless toys you or play girls with toys. it with your genitalia. I don't understand. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's not a child toy then that those are those are the very small examples of that larger societal trend that lead women to compete against each other and push down those natural human feelings or human characteristics of their personality. And I think that I think it comes out in this subtle manipulation and undermining and shaming of other women instead of just being an authentic person. Well, I did do a little bit of research right before we came in. I was actually looking for the failure rate of female owned businesses, but I found some other statistics. One of them was in 1972, 402,000 women owned businesses in the United States. And it represented 4.6% of all businesses. And now we're at 12.3 million women-owned businesses in 2018, actually. So one of the things, though, that stood out to me was that uh, a large percentage of those businesses make less than $100,000. A higher percentage of women-owned businesses than male-owned, men-owned businesses make Yes, that was was it. So uh, that tells me that a lot of women, I think, 
Kate actually made this point to me and I'll steal it from her, but is that women tend to make these choices as a, being a business owner to probably pay for things for their family or pay for, you know, creating a job for themselves instead of an empire or. That is a, a symptom of and a product of some of the workplace inequalities that women experience on a daily basis that they simply choose to not do anymore. That one way to absolutely close the gender pay gap that you've experienced at your company is to leave that job and start your own business and set your own pay. Which is exactly what I did. Or to set your own hours because you're still the primary caregiver for your child. Right. And I've made several career decisions based on what my kids needed when they were smaller. One of them, I changed jobs within my company to be in a different town so that I could take my daughter back and forth to school. Both my kids have a father, (laughs) so I don't know why this was left to me to do, but it was for whatever reason. And uh, I was the most logical choice, so I just made career decisions that accommodated them. And I think that that's a lot of times how women are. Where as men have a longer history of just creating companies because that company is a successful entity and it will provide jobs for other people or, you know, it's it's a little more of a big deal, I guess. Yeah. And some of the other research that I was looking at, there was a really fascinating Harvard Business Review study of workplace behavior just about two years ago. And what they were trying to control for were other variables that might impact promotions within corporate environments versus just the way men and women are treated differently. So the way they tried to control for that was they gave Fitbits, I don't know if it was actually Fitbits, but activity monitors to 50 men and 50 women all within the same company. It was a large company with a corporate ladder that they could climb and they put the activity monitor on them. They monitored their email and they monitored their appointment calendars. And so they were trying to see, do women engage with their leadership team for fewer hours a week than men do? Do they go to fewer meetings? Basically, do they work at a different level or have a different quality of work that might contribute to the lack of corporate success for women versus men? And what they found was no, that when you took away gender from those 100 people, it was almost impossible to identify with any high level of probability which of those data points were men and which were women, which really showed these researchers that there is something about how men and women are treated differently in the workplace that causes men to be promoted at a higher rate than women. And there are other studies that show men and women are given different questions when seeking venture capital or traditional lending, that the questions to men are more tailored towards the possible gains or the possible profits of a business, possible growth, whereas the questions for women were far more focused on possible losses. And, you know, what what length of runway do you need in order to prevent failure? That they were way more pessimistic questions to women and way more optimistic questions to men. And that kind of goes back to the chicken and egg or the catch-22 scenario that Sarita was mentioning, which came first. I assume that because there are mostly men sitting in those deciders' chairs and asking the questions of potential startup business owners, that that influences that. But at the same time, you know, we're not going to get more women into those seats if they're not given the opportunity to do so. And so it doesn't surprise me that so many more women are opening businesses because there's nothing like taking your destiny into your own hands. We've actually helped a few friends kind of continue their businesses that they had started and kind of get give them advice and those kinds of things. One specific is a woman, one is a man. 
And so we were kind of bantering back to and forth to each other that did we ask different things of the man over the woman? And I don't think we did. So I'm wondering mm. if women were in those roles more often, would we have more opportunities? Um, and then that begs the question, would I feel more comfortable as a woman going in and asking for venture capital from a woman? Would that be more comfortable for me? Not because of that overt, oh, it's a woman, I feel better. Like, you know, it's not a pelvic exam. But uh, if it's a woman, would she ask me more questions that would be suited for what my what my business is actually going to do, produce, or serve? I don't know if I if I would feel differently, but I can see how many I can see how many others would. So I mm-hmm. can definitely see. Well, that I being. do know just anecdotally that my banker, my very first loan that I got was a woman. She was very helpful. And she sat down and mm-hmm. talked me through what I need to know and what I need to ask. And so maybe I felt more comfortable with her than I might have with a man. That's why it was successful. Right. I don't know. But I think you should go to the what you wish you were reading. Yes. So I found a what I wish I was reading for the two of us. And I think this might actually be one that we do read and maybe review in its own podcast episode. Because as I as I said a little earlier, when I was doing research on this, I was really surprised at how little information or research there was on successful women business partnerships with one One, exception. One book. There is one book written by a pair of successful business owners they've been in business together for 12 years they were actually middle school best friends oh and went into business together after after they got done their schooling and decided they wanted to get into business together and it's been 12 years now and so it's called power through partnerships how women lead better together by betsy polk and maggie chotas i apologize if i have mangled that name and so it is a discussion of their business partnership and the magic beans that makes it work well for them and 125 interviews with other successful women business partnerships. Maggie is more of the operations side of their business partnership and Betsy is more marketing and outreach. So kind of more business growth, business development and the, (laughs) does this sound like anyone, you know, and so they learned how to magnify each other's strengths by communicating, being flexible and leaning on each other, which is also something I think that women have been in a weird way been told not to do. It's be emotional, kind of be womanlike, be, you know, be all the things that women are supposed protect to be. Protect your bubble. But don't protect each other. Mm-hmm. That we're still supposed to be doing all of this kind of on our own. So they also sought out and profiled other successful women partnerships. And and truly, this was the only book that I could find that was specifically geared towards women business partners that was actually written by a pair of women business partners. I, there, I can't wait to read it, honestly. There are lots of books generally on business partnerships, just not gender specific. And there are a lot there's a, there's a decent amount of information out there by individual people some individual women about how to engage in partnerships. But I really wanted to hear from a pair because you, know, you never want to mm-hmm. hear one side of it. I mean, one side of a business partnership might love it. And the other side might be like, God, when can I get out of this? That's not us. I, I <laughs> That's swear. Not us. <laughs> but so I think we're going to take the time to read this and uh, maybe a few episodes from now do a full podcast on it because I think that it could be really helpful. I would like to point out that we are recording this in a uh, space, the third space in Norman, so, Oklahoma, that is owned by a pair of phenomenal business, female business owners that that's how we got kind of hooked up into coming here. So I super appreciate 
that they have figured out their magic beans to get this place going so we have a space to do that. That's right. So um, I think uh, that kind of wraps this. I'm sure we'll touch this topic lots of times because it's kind of where It pervades our daily lives all day, every day. (laughs) We live with it. (laughs) So, uh, but if you want to find out more about us, find us on theroarandpeaceproject.com. Or of course, you can always email us at roarandpeaceproject at gmail.com.